things happen that you cannot control. The amount that you can control is actually very, very small. And it's all internal. You can't control getting a flat tire. You might not be able to predict the physics involved and end up in a ski crash. <sighs> but you can control what you do afterwards. You know, you'll get knocked down, but get back up. That's easy to say. It's harder to do. Make the choice. Make the choice. I'm Jamie Mo Crazy, and you're listening to Life Gets Mo Crazy, where we'll hear from people who either been through a trauma or helped someone else through. Listen and learn strategies you can implement in your life. So when a metaphorical avalanche slides you down the mountain of life, you can climb an alternative peak with the best view. I'm here today with Mark Haley, who's a father, a carpenter, a fabricator, and aficionado of vintage cars, especially those built into hot rods. He is also a burn survivor and bilateral upper amputee. He was drag racing his hot rod at the drag strip in Tucson in January 2018, and a tire came apart put him in the wall, tore up the car, and started it on fire. He suffered third-degree burns on 45% of his body, and the burns resulted in severe damage to his legs, the amputation of all the fingers on his right hand and his entire left hand. He spent his time since relearning how to navigate his life with his modified body. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jamie, so much for having me here today. I'm pretty excited. It's actually, we are meeting in person today. So it's really exciting because I want to hear a little bit from you. I know I, I gave some details about when your life changed in the blink of an eye, but I want to hear from you what happened that day. All right. So that day and the day in question is January 18th of uh, 2018. So it's actually coming up. The anniversary is coming up pretty soon at the time of this recording. And uh, I had taken my hot rod down to uh, Tucson, Arizona for a drag race. The car in question was a 1926 Ford Roadster, which I had built, had a reproduction body, had a frame that I had built. I built the rear suspension. The I rebuilt the engine. I, I built this car. You know, when a lot of people say they built a car, what they mean is... Ford or Chevy built the car and then they did a little work on it. I built this car. Wow. <laughs> so it, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I knew that car inside and out and I'd raced it several times previously. I had raced this car several times at the drag strip here in Salt Lake city. And I was practiced with the car. I knew what I was doing with the car. It was a pretty quick car and I, I was very comfortable and confident in it. And I had done a little work on it. I was trying to make it a little quicker and I had taken it to this event in Tucson to test it out and have some fun. But it did not turn out the way I expected it to. The uh, car passed tech inspection just fine. I went over to the staging lanes to wait my turn to run. I was in the first probably four or five pairs of cars to go down the track on Friday afternoon. And the right front tire just came apart. Could have happened to anybody. It wasn't anything that I did driving. It wasn't anything about the way the car was built. It was just something that happened. It could have happened to anybody. 
but the tire came apart and uh, the car was going well over 100 miles an hour at the time and the wall is right there. There's not any time or distance to recover from it. So it, it, I hard right turned into the wall, pinballed across the racetrack. Uh, the, when the car got tore up, it ruptured a fuel line and then the sparks coming off the wrecked car ignited the fire. The impact knocked me unconscious. So I just sat in the car and burned until the track crew got to me and extinguished the fire and extracted me. Wow. It was a, it was a bad day. Yeah, that's, that's intense. But I like how you pointed out it could have happened to anybody. Because yeah. um, in your situation, you were racing. Um, so people might think, oh, well, you were like leading yourself to it. I get the same thing. I was competing um, internationally in a ski competition. They're like, well, you could have seen that happening. However, the same thing could have happened by people who get in regular ordinary cars yeah. or the most common occurrence of a traumatic brain injury, which is what I had, happens in bathrooms. So you could just be going to the bathroom and something could happen and change your life. Mm -hmm. But so your life changed in an instant. So then what What was the recovery process after that, like the immediate stuff? When did you wake up and realize that things had changed? I spent six months in the burn center in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was sedated the whole time. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember my surgeries. I don't remember the amputations. I don't remember the skin crafts. I don't remember any of that. I was down the whole time. And so by the time my, uh, well, and I should point out that the reason I was sedated so long was my lungs were really damaged in the fire too, from breathing all that hot air. So I was sedated for so long to give my lungs a chance to heal. And so when my lungs were good enough that I could be allowed to wake up and then transported back to the Salt Lake area was six months. Wow. And, I, and I remember what I was like when I was allowed to wake up, I was still on a ventilator and I would continue to be for another month and a half. So I was good enough to get out of that hospital and go to the next hospital, but I was still really bad. So I was still on the vent for another, like I said, a month and a half after that, where it, when I was in an acute care facility in the Salt Lake area. And then uh, I was strong enough to be off the vent, but they kept the tube in my throat for another couple of weeks, just in case I felt like I wanted to go back on the machine. If I felt like my chest wasn't strong enough, but uh, I, I remember waking up one day and I thought to myself last night was the last night I'm going to be on the vent. I'm going to do this today. And then I was off the vent for many, many hours. But by bedtime, my chest muscles were so tired and my lungs were still beat up. And, and I just couldn't do it. I asked to be put back on the vent for the night. And then the next morning I woke up and thought to myself, last night was the last night that I'm going to be on the vent. And that was it. And then they kept the tube in my throat for another couple of weeks, you know, a week and a half, two weeks until they were sure. And I was sure. And everybody was sure. And then the day before I went to the rehab unit, they uh, decannulated me. It's what they took the tube out of my throat, put the pet, uh, bandage on my neck and sent me off to rehab. And then I was in rehab for another two months after that. So 300 days would have been too many days in the hospital. So I got out at 299. <laughs> wow. That, that uh, 299 yeah. is a lot of days though. It really was. And um, were there other people in involved? Like, do, are you married? Do you have kids? I was at the time. And yes, that's, 
a huge step in all of this recovery process is, as I mentioned, my rec was in Arizona. My family was in Salt Lake. And so my wife at the time, for the six months that I was in Arizona, she was there at my bedside three of those months. I think of the enormity of that she put her, she was in uh, college at the time, as well as working and our children at home. And she put all that on hold to be at my bedside in Arizona for three months out of, out of the six off and on, not straight, but, but you know, accumulated time. And then when she had to come back to Salt Lake to take care of those things, then she was worried about me hundreds of miles away for three months. And, uh, and we have, uh, my, my kids are a little older than we had two at home at the time. And then some adult kids and extended family and neighbors. So while she was away, the younger kids were completely taken care of. And, uh, but it was still a huge sacrifice for her to be able to do all of that. And then even after I came home and then I was in two different facilities for another four months, she came to see me every day while I was in the hospital. And I, I said a couple of times, my former wife, you know, we would had some difficulties even before the wreck and we were going to split anyway. But at the time of the wreck, she stepped up and she stepped in and she took care of everything. And then even it was another year after I came home, I got out of the hospital, but that does not mean that a person's recovery is done. Right. You know, it was still another year before I felt like my strength and endurance was up. I had some practice with my prostheses. I really felt like I could get back into the workforce. And it was at that time, you know, more than a year, I think it was a year and a half after I was home that we were, we weren't a couple per se anymore, but we were housemates and she was making sure that I was okay. And, and uh, once we were both comfortable with me, being in a good place in my life and in hers, she graduated school by this time and was getting a, a full-time job in her new field. When we were both okay, that's when we proceeded with the paperwork. So she stuck through it and I will sing her praises the rest of my life because she <laughs> was so good to me at the time when I needed someone the most. And my children, they stepped in and stepped up and they took care of things. And my youngest was 11 at the time of my wreck. At just a super impressionable time of his life and and his entire life turned upside down. And uh, my older kids too. I mean, I'm just using him as a proxy for all of them. But the difficulties that my family went through is unimaginable. I know how difficult it was for me. But the thing that hurts the most about my accidents and recovery is the toll that it took on the people I love. That's what hurts the most. Yeah, that's one of the things that's really powerful. I know that with my traumatic brain injury, I get a lot of attention and to it, yet who I am and who I recovered to could not have happened without my immediate family. Mm -hmm. I mean, even more, like just the power of family is huge. And then my mom had the educational background of a master's in psychology of early childhood brain development. She was such an active part of my family caregiving. And then she, she helped run the rest of my family's family caregiving that it would have been impossible without that much support, which is why 
we have the nonprofit Mo Crazy Strong, and we reach out to different family caregivers and survivors. I'm actually talking to someone in South Carolina today about it. It's just because the peer-to-peer um, with ideas, techniques can be so powerful because everybody doesn't have a super support system. You, you think everyone, you hope everyone would, <laughs> right? but everyone doesn't, unfortunately. And so quite often, and even if they do have a support system, they still feel lost and overwhelmed and confused because when something unexpected changes your life in the blink of an eye it also changes everyone's life who's close to you correct and they don't always get the attention and the care for it changing their life um so that's what mo crazy strong does for traumatic brain injury stories um but support is so is so helpful yes that's uh one thing that i learned while i was in the hospital And since then is the extended support that not only the patient needs, but the extended family and all that. And that's why I'm so pleased and impressed with your work and the work of other mentors. You know, we've been through this. We, we laid in that bed. We, we know what the recovery is like. And so the people who have that, this has just happened to them and they don't know what to do and they don't know what their future is going to be looking like. And their family has got all these questions. Where do you turn? You know, you turn to us. That's uh, maybe we can get more into this later. But even while I was in the hospital, I was trying to be encouraging to other patients as well as myself. And let you know, let's get better. Let's get out. Let's get on with our lives. And uh, there were some peer mentors that I met in the hospital that were really influential to me. And in a, in the rehab setting, I met other people with uh, TBIs. I met stroke patients. I met uh, spinal cord injury people. I met complex medical of all description. And what I learned is that it doesn't matter as much about the diagnoses. It, we connect over personalities. You know, and there were some people, yeah, I, I was glad that they were there and they, They were helpful and all that. And then there were other people that I'm friendly with to this day because we just clicked over the personalities, even though there aren't that, there's no other burn people in the group that I'm in now, but uh, that's not what matters. What matters is I laid in that bed. I was in that therapy gym, just like you are now. I know your struggle and look what it can be like for you a few years down the road. Because that's the perspective that these people need. Yes. And speaking about perspective, we actually met at the National Speakers Association Mountain West chapter. Correct. And so you are starting speaking. Let's explain a little bit more about where you want to go and your speaking career. All right. So I've had about a thousand people tell me over the last few years that I should get into public speaking. And uh, I've kind of thought that myself a little bit, but to hear a lot of other people say something about it and see something in me, I really should expand on this. And I did a a little gig. Oh, it's been a couple of weeks ago. Now there was another man who's also in the, uh, the speakers group named Michael, who I met him for the first time when he came to the meeting last month. And we sat for a few minutes and just in, 
just chatted a little bit. And then he said to me, you know, I wouldn't normally do this, but I want to extend you an invitation. He, there's a group of men who are uh, addiction recovery people that he works with north of Salt Lake City. And normally when he invites somebody in to meet with them, it would be somebody that he knows very well and has vetted and knows their background and knows what they're going to talk about. But he told me just in these few minutes, I get such a vibe from you that you're going to be just what these men need to hear about. I would like you to come speak. Can you do it this Sunday? This is like three days lead time. (laughs) I would be delighted to. He said, you're going to have 30 minutes and then a 10 minute Q and a, are you comfortable? Absolutely. So I walked in and uh, told them about what I just told all of you. And then I told a a few other examples of things that have happened over the last few years, which most people would think were really tough situations. And then I said to them, how do I do this is the question I always get asked. You've been kicked so many times. How do you keep getting back up? And that's what, and I think this ties into what we're talking about or where I want to go with this conversation also is I didn't know for a long time, how do I do what I do? And it took a lot of self-reflection on my part. And what I realized was it's my choices, which sounds silly to me to say it out loud now, because it's what I've been preaching to people all along, but I didn't think about it from my own perspective. At one point, many, many years ago, I chose to be happy. I chose to be optimistic. I chose to see the bright side. And I woke up the next morning and I chose it again. And the next day, and I chose it again. And I just choose it every day. And I've been doing that for so long that it's no longer a choice. It's a habit. Mm. And so I don't think too consciously about why am I happy or what am I going to do? I just am. And so I think that's come a long way in the attitude that I have now. I've been saying this for years, even before my wreck, my blood type and my attitude are the same. Be positive. <laughs> and so that's cute. I, I think I'm funny, <laughs> but uh, I think that's what it comes down to though, is yes, you can get knocked down. And you know, it's easy to say, get back up. It's a lot harder to do. I've got two different friends who stood by me through all of this. I've known one of them for what, 12 years now. And the other guy for eight and they were both in, and one, the guy had known for eight years was in Arizona with me at the time he saw the wreck happen. And he's the one who contacted my family and kind of got the whole ball rolling. I mean, he and I are tight, but both of these friends have told me independently that if what had happened to you had happened to me, it would have crushed me. I'd still be in a black hole, but you, if out of anybody that we know who could do this and come through the other side, it's you. That's probably really great. It really was, (laughs) you know, and that's because they know and they both told me this over and over. You are the happiest, most optimistic, most friendliest person I've ever met. And so the idea that I have been kicked over and over, you know, between 
this injury and then the the breakup of my marriage and some other things that have happened over the last few years that would just destroy a person. And that's not to say that they haven't destroyed me to some level, but I think it's easy for me to kind of pick up and carry on because of my attitude and, and my optimism about things. Yeah. I think you had a very accurate fact that like the choices you make dictate what happens. I know I do a lot of talking about how the choices you make do turn into habits and the habits that you make actually change your synaptic connections and change your brain cells. And what you receive often changes as well because of how your mind is. Mm -hmm. And it is exactly like what you said. You have the choice every day. So I talk a lot about when you have an unexpected trauma, you don't control if that happens to you or not. It just happened to you. Now you have the choice to control how you respond to it. Precisely. That's where you have the power. Exactly. I had the same buddy that I was talking about who was in Arizona at the time. He was saying something to me about, uh, you know, what reason there's gotta, gotta be a reason or I'm trying to find the reason. And I said, no, no, there's no reason. It just happened. I, in my opinion, things don't happen for a reason. Things just happen. And the only reason that you can make out of it is what you do afterwards, the choices you make and how you act upon it. Which is really interesting because I actually believe that way as well. Um, that there's not a reason why things happen, however you can create the reason. Exactly. So like when you bing, look bing, at bing. <laughs> when you look at like my story and they're like, oh well, a lot of people I've I've even started hearing, well it makes sense. Like you're you're so good at speaking, you're such a personality for this to happen, like you can have a voice for so many people. And it's like, yes, but look at this. I also could have become addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. I could have stayed depressed. Mm-hmm. Like there, like I, I went through depression. I, I went to psychotherapy. Like there's a lot that I went through and that people don't see. There's a lot that you went through that people don't fully understand. Uh-huh. And so you have the choice every single day yeah. for what decision you make. And so, yes, I've created it, the path to look so great. But it, there's been a lot it's of rough patches. You did it. <laughs> exactly. You did it. And if I did it and you did it, anyone who's listening to this podcast can do it as well. Mm-hmm. Because that's the biggest thing is having the belief in yourself. Yeah. Really trusting yourself that you can do it. You know, I one thing that I've heard over and over the last few years, and certainly you have too, is how lucky you are to be alive. Yes. <laughs> and I disagree. I worked my tail off to get to where I am. It was not luck. It was work. That's, oh my God. I just keep getting, because I do so much talking about how you create your own luck. Mm-hmm. Because I do hear that all the time. And even before my accident, before my accident, I was a blonde, kind of pretty looking girl who could, went to X Games, was competing. Your life is so lucky. Oh, you're so, Your life is God, so, so lucky. Easy. You yeah. have it so easy. And they wouldn't see all the times I'd cry, my two times torn ACLs, like all the bruises. And then the same thing with my recovery process. Like once you get a couple of years down the road or even right away, like the first winter, people are like, oh, don't feel bad. You're so lucky. Don't get depressed. You're so lucky. You can feel bad. You can get upset. Your life yeah. changed instantly. Yeah. Don't stay stuck in that rut. 
But let those emotions absolutely let you feel them. That that's the same thing I tell patients. It's it's okay to have bad days. Yeah. Don't stay there. Exactly. Don't stay there. But you you know your life changed, and you are creating your own luck. Mm-hmm. All the steps that you're taking, everything that you're embellishing and bringing up and the decisions, all the paths that you're walking down. And it's funny because there's so many paths you go down that lead to dead ends. And then you have to go down another path. And so you try things and you're like, actually, that's not the right thing for me to be doing. I'll do something else. Just even if they're little things, but if you just keep walking and you have that belief that if you just keep walking, you'll be able to climb an alternative peak and you'll get to the point where you have beautiful views. Yep. If you have that belief, you're going to get to that peak. But it takes the work to get there. It does. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. And so that was just really interesting because I I do do a lot of talking about creating your own luck. Mm -hmm. So we have that in common is that there's, there's a little bit of opportunities that are happenstance. However, if you aren't prepared for those happenstance, you won't get lucky. And there's so much of the luck that you are controlling that your decisions make it happen. And then when the happenstance walks by, you're ready for it. Exactly. (laughs) I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming over and and having a talk. What, what What words of wisdom would you like to leave the audience with? Oh, my. I think we... We've said a lot just in the course of this. I, just to summarize what we said in a couple of minutes, you know, things happen that you cannot control. You know, there's uh, the amount that you can control is actually very, very small, and it's all internal. You can't control getting a flat tire. You might not be able to predict the physics involved and end up in a ski crash. <sighs> But you can control what you do afterwards. You know, you'll get knocked down, but get back up. That's easy to say. It's harder to do. It's really make, hard to do. Make the choice. But you can do it. Make the choice. Make the choice. All right. And then is there any way that people can find you to follow along or have you established uh, that yet? <laughs> I Well, I am on Instagram at at D-E-S Mopars. Uh, D-E-S-M-O-P-A-R-S. There's a whole lot of cars on there because I love vintage cars. And there's a little bit of my personal life on there. And as I get a little more into my speaking career, I'm sure that'll come up more and more. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining. I know that when we met, I I just was like, you have a personality and you have a story. And like I mentioned to you, my podcast is all about when you get caught in a metaphorical avalanche and it slides you down to the base of the mountain, you have the choice to climb an alternative peak. And you made that choice and you're climbing along your peak. Doing my so best. I'm excited to see where, where it all goes. You'll be right there at every monthly meeting. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, you'll be watching. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me today. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.